So everybody, welcome to another uh, series of uh, Karma Podcast. And today we have a very, very special guest um, and a conversation that I really look forward to because I know the story um, from uh, Parul, but um, I really want to record telling it herself because it's a very special story and it's not something that's um, that's common within the the topics of our podcast, but I think it's really, really important. People should know about this. Um, and I, I did write an introduction, but to be fairly honest, I would love you to introduce yourself because I think um, it gets in the way of, of the story. So the floor is yours. I thanks, Jasper, for having me. So I'm um, Parl. I'm a general dentist. Uh, I practice in Long Island. And I was happy doing my little dentistry and my little dental world until my world shook when I lost my younger and only sibling, who is also a dentist in private practice in Canada, to oral cancer. And he was 33 at the time of diagnosis, just turned 33, and he was 34 at the time of his passing. So within a matter of less than two years, during the time of the worldwide pandemic, the covid Uh, He lost his life. So since his passing, he had written a series of blogs because he knew that his time on Earth was limited and he decided not to self-pity and um, and deal with the cards that life had dealt with. He made peace with everything. He decided to write a series of blogs. And that is now a book called Life Interrupted, Dr. Dewey's Survival Guide. Uh, Helped finish it posthumously. And uh, and since then, I've just been advocating because this was in dentistry. This is our field, both Manu's and mine, and this was oral cancer. So I've just been advocating on the importance of oral cancer and um, to dentists and patients alike, you know, to self-advocate for yourself, for your bodies, watch out for the signs, push for the earlier biopsies and get earlier treatments, more conservative treatments and save a life. Yeah, and you know what? Because uh, I've read the book, uh, and um, well, we have a mutual friend who uh, brought us in uh, in contact, and I just yes. started the book. I, I read it, and um, like revisiting it again uh, really brings shivers up my spine because, like, the the message that goes throughout the book is, I guess, very it's hard, right? But it's also very inspiring. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he never lost hope. You know, he starts off the way the book is written. It's in chronological order as he was going through his treatments. And, you know, initial surgery was in 2019. And he survived that. That was pre-pandemic. He had um, a lesion on the side of his tongue. He had the lesion removed. Half the tongue was removed. Um, he had a graft placed. And then it was hard for him to... He recovered beautifully, but it was hard for him to do dentistry. He had numbness on his left arm post-surgery. Um, he had mental fogginess. And by 2020, April, his cancer had returned within a matter of eight months of the initial surgery. There was lymph node involvement. They did remove lymph nodes, but they didn't give him chemo radiation. And I detailed that in the British Dental Journal. It was just out. Um and the book details the the course of treatment, but the cancer returned in April, and that's when borders shut down between the U.S. and Canada, and the world was navigating through their own grief of going through uh, 
you know, COVID, nobody knew what protocols and um, vaccinations weren't available. He was immunocompromised. But among all that, he went through a second surgery. And unfortunately, he did go through chemo radiation in the summer, recovered from it. But unfortunately, the cancer was very aggressive. By December of 2020, it had spread into his lungs and was deemed inoperable. And then it was just a matter of time. And that's when he started after the summer of 2020. He decided to quit dentistry, sold his practice. And he said, I want to live life. Like, I don't want to wait till I'm going to die, even though it may be sooner than later. And he'd started to check off items on his bucket list. And he started reflecting on these life lessons. Like, you know, he realized the failures that he had made in life, and we all do, and not to let failures define us, but to grow from it. Um, he faced mortality. And he said, you know, I've encountered death so many times. I know death is this ever-present factor. It's this presence that's always in our lives. It's never going to go away. But how can we transcend from that into something bigger? And it's really by leaving something positive and good for the world to remember with. Do something good and you will stay immortal. And so he just reflects on these um life lessons and um, how much we can endure, how powerful, you know, the mind, body, and soul is. It has a remarkable capacity to heal. We are more powerful than we can imagine. So he had this inspirational hope message and um, an acceptance of life as what it brings and just to make the best of it. Yeah, and um, as you as you stated, um, like you reflect on, on, on failures on well, as well, I guess, life as in clinic. Um, can you can you tell a little bit more about that specific part? With him in particular? Yeah. Well, every a life lesson, I mean, ups and downs with mistakes. And I think the one biggest mistake that I felt that he had made for himself was not getting this push for an earlier diagnosis because the lesion had been present and was painful back in June. Uh, when he showed it to me and he said, hey, this has been on my tongue. It's been waiting for, all, you know, it's been there. It's It hurts. And I visit Canada every year and I was there for the summer and this was in July. And I said, you know, show me your tongue. And he had just turned 33. He said, and the lesion had grown substantially from the initial lesion he showed me. I said, why haven't you biopsied this? And Prior to him coming, I had gotten some consults and everybody said it's oral cancer and he refused to believe it. You know, he was a rugby player. He played badminton, squash. He was healthy, prime of his life, brand new practice for which he was featured on Dentaltown cover magazine. And he's like, I can't have cancer. It can't be cancer. Not me. You know, he's not a smoker, traditional risk factors. And it was just, and I think that was it. Like, he had failed the biggest thing like this is something this is in your field you're aware of it but you just don't think it can happen to you and uh, you know he's like all right it's uh, he didn't let that define him he didn't let cancer define him he that he was more than that and this book talks about it um but you know general failures day-to-day -day life we all make and he just said pick up and learn from it don't keep repeating the same mistakes you know that's the sign of insanity yeah. <laughs> so grow, grow from there <laughs> yeah yeah you know because that's um the thing is that like when you um like in that specific situation right um we 
when when you strive to do your dentistry right so mm. um in the netherlands we have this fixed pricing system okay mm. and that means that we are we are not able to define our own pricing and that means that if i want to make a filling there's a fixed price for this filling and if I, if i do this filling within 50 minutes i get the same uh amount of money for it as i do within 50 minutes right 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 same so that that means that you have like like there's this this drive in more production instead of better quality which is for some in some kind of way sometimes it's good to fix pricing because it keeps uh general healthcare accessible for everybody right but there should be some kind of a deter- determination in quality um and in the netherlands we believe that too many people are fixed in doing the bigger production instead of doing the bigger the, the better quality and that means that um one of the biggest problems we have around here in the netherlands but in belgium as well is that people are driving themselves way too hard in their dental profession right it's with with it's, there's a reason why so many dentists are going for a burnout or mm-hmm. they commit suicide of like these ratings are going through the roof and that's that's amazing but there's a reason for that and one of the things that i found really inspiring in this book is that somebody who actually was in exactly the same workflow like uh, like the same flow of life as you explained it with with a beautiful dental practice like he was successful he was doing all the things that, that we all do and then at one point in time he was well, facing mortality, mm-hmm. right? And that the lessons that you, that you, that he, that he put on paper, I found very, very, very valuable because it's very applicable to your own life, right? right? And that's right. And mm-hmm. and he talks about. I mean, I have it in the book. The the dissatisfaction that he had with the profession, and because of these factors of insurance and patient care, like dentistry in the pure form, he did. Um, mission trips to Peru. He went a couple of times, he used to volunteer at homeless shelters and dentistry in his pure form, he loved. He just didn't attach, like the attachments to it. And like you said, you know, this constant force of production, we have it here with Medicaid practices that you get the set amount and you want to do. So what are you doing in that? You're killing part of your soul. And sometimes you, you know, you're it takes a toll on your body. It takes a toll on your mind. You're rushing. You're making mistakes. And now, let's say you're trying to do the filling really quickly in that 50 minutes, and it fails. Now you have to redo it. And you're not probably getting paid to redo it within a year's failure, right? So, or there are adverse reactions. So it's realizing the quality, what you want to do in life. Um, this book makes you pause and reflect on that how you want to live your life, what kind of legacy are you leaving behind? Are you going to be home going like, oh, I made a production quota for today, or you help change somebody's life? Like it's navigating through those concepts that we don't necessarily think of while we're in the rat race. It's a a life-altering decision that changes your perspective of life and what you're doing with it, and that there is a bigger picture than the day-to-day nuances of life. There is something bigger out there and it's just a chance to pause and reflect and change if you want to, if life is not the way you projected it to be, change it, change things that you can and find a way to accept the things you can't. Are there things um, 
like obviously because it's your sibling right but um are there things in your daily practice that you do different now mm -hmm. i do so our practice is a little bit different than Netherlands because we do have private practice. So as in private insurances. So I was in a heavy Medicaid practice where pre pandemic, I was seeing 30 patients a day to fill quotas and same thing. Um, and around 2018, I had decided um, this is not how I want to live. I was driving almost an hour from work. Parking was an issue. I wasn't, I couldn't grow as a clinician. I couldn't, I couldn't see myself 10 years doing the same thing. And I decided to do a scratch, scratch practice in Long Island, um, you know, design the practice the way I wanted it. You, you know, I didn't want to buy somebody's practice because there were some elements I didn't like. Uh, I looked at many, but you know what? I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it my way. And I picked every single thing. Manu helped me with a lot of the process. Um you know, from the design flow to the way it's layout, everything, the pictures on the wall, paint colors, the whole nine yards. And um, I just, I designed it myself. Um, and I started from patient zero, but I stopped taking the Medicaid practice. Not that I deny people can still obviously get service. They just have to pay out of pocket. And, and I spend like an hour with my patient because I'm listening to them and we have conversations. It's not, you're not a number. I didn't want that. I didn't want to be treated the way I wouldn't want to be treated at a doctor's office. So you're a patient, you're getting a patient care. We're talking about everything. And sometimes it may be not dentistry, maybe just life. Like, Hey, I had a, uh, you know, my kid had this or he got sick. Okay. We're going to talk about that and then get into getting your dental treatment, but it's about building these relationships. And I changed the way I practice because I didn't want to burn out. I didn't want to, my body could not handle doing this and I'm closer to home. So if my kids need me, they are sick, they need, I'm a class mom. I have to go to school for activities. I'm there for my children. And dentistry is this beautiful profession that can afford us this flexibility. And why not use it to our advantage? I don't want my kids to grow up and say, mom, you were never there for my you know, third grade reading. I mean, as insignificant it may be to you, for them, it's a big thing. And they see other parents there and um, for their concerts or choirs or practice, whatever, you know, why are we running through this and earning money if it's not for our children? Um, so to have that balance, I stopped that practice and I created my own thing. Um, so I could be there in the moment for my kids and be in the moment for my practice and my patients and build it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Right? Because then it, it means you're uh, guiding your own, well, your own life, basically, right? You, the, the things that, that you do are chosen all by yourself. And that's something that's really beautiful, remarkable. And I think everybody should have it that way, right? Uh, but unfortunately, we, we see and we know that not everybody is simply doing it. Yeah. Right. So what's what's the one thing that you would say to people uh, who are in the same position that that you were in, like when you were doing the dentistry that you actually didn't like? If you can't change it, it's kind of like a grief process. 
you have to go through the stages of grief, you know, bargaining. If I do this, I'll do that. If I work hard, I'll make extra money. Then I can take more time off. You know, you go through these stages and you go through the anger, like, oh, or the depression of going through this. And then you finally get to a state where, you know what, I can't change it. I'm just going to have to accept it, but I can alter, maybe not work five days a week, take three days or four days, find something else that brings you joy. You know, for me, it's been talking to a therapist. It's been taking long walks, taking more vacations, um, just getting away from the clinical. Like there's got to be more than just doing dentistry. There's got to be more than just drill and fill and bill, you know, and it's that finding your outlet, not in negative ways not to go out and get sloshed but in a positive meditate nature walks um just spending quality time with people that matter not the fluff like really people genuine people who have been there for you when you needed them um you know don't fill the room with just people fill them with people that vibrate good energy um so it's it's creating that whether it's even just watching TV and tuning everything out, anything that will just kind of tune out your mind, get you to declutter it so that you can have other positive thoughts come in. Because otherwise, it's we all know how stressful dentistry is. Um, patients don't realize it. Staff doesn't realize it. Only you know what you're going through. And there are all these distractions pulling you. So, Take the time to detox and get away and lessen the practice or, uh, you know, how many days you do or find a, an outlet and something that brings you pure joy and do it and just go out there. And that way you're doing something for yourself. And that brings you like this push to keep doing what you're doing because you've got something else going on on the side. Yeah, I think you said it really beautiful. And um yeah. And I also think that like the book, it's uh, it helps with people realizing that the importance of, of like everything that you just explained, right? And and what I so be, before this podcast we were talking, I told you that there's actually like a Dutch website who's now selling the book, which I think is is pretty pretty cool because it means that the book is successful, right? It yeah. it gets all over the globe. Like what what are the reactions you get from from people? Uh, all around you that, that read the book? So the book is pretty small. I mean, it's only 85 pages. Um, it has the foreword, which I wrote, Manu's blogs, just the way they were written, some that were unedited. Uh, sorry, all are unedited, but some that were unfinished. And then it has the foreword, which, uh, sorry, the epilogue, which is my take on me as an outside observer to Manu's life, to who he is, why he is. Um and then the aftermath of cancer, which a lot of people don't understand, is that cancer doesn't affect the one person who has it. The person may die and his physical injuries are gone. But those scars that are unseen, the emotional scars that the family carries are endless and they hurt. The grief is is beyond imagination and it's something you learn to live with. And so when I the book, even though it's small, short, it's powerful, and a lot of people can't get through it in one sitting because it is packed with so much truth and emotion and purity. Um, you know, he was very frank in his conversation. He he told you like it is, and it's 
almost like he had transcended into this other universe. And he talks about it. He says, I had to do an out-of-body look at myself from outside to endure what my physical pain the body was going through and how all these accolades that he has attained in his life mean nothing when he is sitting in a hospital bed with just a gown unable to take a breath. Um, so, you know, it's so it's very impactful. It, some people, a lot of crying uh, I get and a lot of like this was so overwhelming. Um, people who in different, you know, they'll say this helped me and Diana who connected us She's like, I was in a stage of my life where this book rescued me. And that's so wonderful to hear. I've heard that from other people, too, that it's it just changes your mind and your thinking. And it makes you want to be a better person and create a better life for yourself. Um, but those are the usual impacts that this has not been an easy read. And this was hard and tears and, and emotions and life altering. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would describe it as, as some kind of a self-help grenade because it's exactly as you thought it's, it's really direct, yeah. and um, there are so many things that you just recognize for yourself, right? That's I, I believe, and I found that's the reason why it's so powerful because sometimes in some things it's just like looking in the in the mirror, right? Which is the absolute foundation of I guess therapy, talking to people, and it's one of the things that that we found really uncommon is to to find somebody to to talk about the things that you not necessarily want to discuss at home. Right. Right. And right. Um, uh, I started talking with, well, it was just like a, like a coach that I was talking to. I believe it was almost seven years ago. And I found like I was going there. I was sitting in the room. Uh, I was kind of anxious because I was not sure why I was going there. I said, yeah, that's just some things and it's building up, right? There's this stress and anxiety of performing dentistry and, mm -hmm. and patients that demand sometimes like things that we just cannot deliver. Right. And in a really early stage of your career, that's one thing that you absolutely don't dare to say is the word no. Like we, we just don't want to say no because we want to mm -hmm. help patients and we found that hard. So this there was this state of building anxiety and, and pressure and tension that just I noticed it, it was building up right you get this general increase of tension in your body so I got yes. a tip from from a friend of mine and I was talking with with this coach and I the coach didn't say a word for one hour like I'm I'm a guy that when we're sitting in, in a bar I tell stories like <laughs> I have no hesitation hesitation in talking but I was just sitting there and I was talking for one straight hour and afterwards I said, Oh, but I'm not even I'm not even started. <laughs> and for me that was a sign of okay, wait, perhaps we should talk to other people about this kind of stuff, right? Because it's and for me it was it was a mirror. And um and, and just start looking as you explain, just step outside of yourself, take a look at yourself, and are you happy with, with the guy that you are looking to in right. everything that you are doing, right? Right. And I believe that the book is a, like a really good starting point for that because there are so many situations and things um, that are just recognizable mm -hmm. because in some things, yeah, I'm just exactly the exactly same situation. Right. And uh, and although I started uh, seven years ago with talking to a coach and it's still due to this date, like uh, once every, I guess, two and a half months uh, I go there. 
and I'm just going to sit and talk about what I, what's happening in my life in the dentistry, younger kids, uh, girlfriend, both we we work all uh, we both work at uh, at home. So our life is hard, it's demanding, it's there's a That's big right. pressure still. We try to find balance, and every time we think we found it, we tend to forget everything that we have learned. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I found re- I found real real help in talking um, with people about this kind of stuff. Right. And I think this book can easily help as a as a big mirror because there are so many situations that are, that are really recognizable. So I, yeah. I really love that. And, yeah. and that's also one of the reasons why we we think it's really important to, uh, and if we, we hope to contribute in the promotion of the book. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I think every general yeah. practitioner should should read it, especially when we see what's happening all around us with social media, uh, mm-hmm. younger dentists, uh, they are graduating. They really want to do the 28th veneer cases like the day after they graduated. <laughs> Uh, until they have done one and then they say yeah now I've pain in my back for three weeks so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually how things are going yeah. but anyway like there's this bigger pressure and, and as we see it around us it's increasing like yes dentistry and we believe the world of dentistry is demanding from us that we can do everything from implantology to ortho we do everything regarding treatment planning and, and you should all do this within one year because otherwise you will have failed mm-hmm. right But it's it's not the case. And, you know, you touched on a couple of things. But, yes, Manu's book. And one of the things about Manu's book and what he talks about dentistry is that this is not a 70, 80-year-old who's practiced dentistry for 30, 40 years. It's more relatable because he was, you know, a few years out, less than 10 years out of practice and a young 30-year-old. So a lot of social media plays such a big role in a lot of the anxiety and depression, especially over the pandemic, is because this projection of this perfection and, oh, look at this beautiful smile. What you don't see is the blood, sweat, tears, the failures, the things that went wrong. That's never shown. And that vulnerability of imperfection is not shown. It's always this, you got to do this. Oh, my God, this guy graduate. Look, he's making X amount of dollars, right? And he's bought this and he's got this big house. We're always and he talks about these chasing trophies in his book is that we're constantly in this rat race trying to do the biggest thing. We're first winning the, you know, the top of the class and winning the race. Now we're getting into the best programs and and now the best practice, the most amount of money you make. You're constantly in this and it leaves you empty at the end of the day, unless that's your true reasoning find out your reason for doing what you're doing don't just do it because you're doing it you know and that's what he talks about and and another powerful thing and i think a lot of young people and we've made these mistakes of saying no how many times we've you know in your gut like don't do this on this patient or don't take this job or no i shouldn't be doing this and like that powerful statement i've had said no to since Manu's death, I've said no to a lot of social obligations because I'm like, I'm not there. I don't have that joy and I don't want to exude my negativity if I'm not present and happy for a person because of the uh, loss and sorrow that I have in my life. And um, I won't be there. And I say no. And that's the same thing with dentistry. I don't feel comfortable doing a procedure. I'm going to have to back out no and refer it out. And these are mistakes you live and learn. And 
unfortunately, yeah, we'd all like to do, you know, the full mouth rehab cases, but, you know, in nothing is wrong with bread and breakfast dentistry. Nothing is wrong with doing simple stuff. Um, if you're good at that, go for that. If you want to do cosmetic cases, get the training and go for that. Like identify how you want to live and do, and there's nothing wrong. And this is what I feel like young people don't understand is like dentistry is beautiful. You can do general dentists can do a variety of things and you can pick your niche. You can choose. You don't want to do molar root canals. Don't do them, you know, do the anterior ones and that's fine. And it's okay to do so. Let not the world define you. You define you and you pick and choose. This is, you've been given a profession. It's a beautiful profession. Um, pick and choose it, what you want to do. And if you don't want to be in the profession, it's okay to walk away and no one will, should fault you. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's beautiful. It's it's a real, I've never heard the, the verb bread and breakfast, <laughs> better breakfast dentistry before. That's <laughs> one I will <laughs> certainly keep in my vocabulary from, from right now. The simple <laughs> stuff, you know, check up cleanings, your drill and fill and bill, and that's yeah. it. You know, not the complex cases, um, your simple extractions, not doing surgical, like the simple stuff that, most people need, um, you know, these higher rehab cases are people with a different um, percentage, you know, it's the top, whatever people who can afford it, who can spend the time and money to do it. Sometimes people have time, but not the money or they have the money and they don't have the time. So, you know, it's a very specific niche. So providing the simple basic care, nothing's wrong with it. <laughs> no, I fully agree. And then for some reason, we, we tend to believe that, that if you do the simple stuff, that's not good enough, right? That's no. that's certainly that's absolutely not the case. Well, the thing that we do with uh, when so we have a referral clinic and um, we do a lot of complex dental stuff, and, which I really enjoy doing. But when a dentist comes to to practice in our clinic, um, the, one of the first things they will do is just perio cleaning. Right, do a proper period cleaning. And my dad is is uh, like he's like almost forty years in his in his profession, and um, he, he did the same with me. Just to start with period cleaning, mm-hmm. and you start period cleaning. So how how difficult can it be? I did this at the university, and then and then mm-hmm. it's okay, it's clean. And then he just he, he doesn't say a word. He's he's coming by. He just takes like um, like this period instruments. He just does one move. He takes out this big bunch of calculus out of the pocket that you just went into. Yep. And I just, oh yeah, I just I missed that. It's okay, do it again. And then you do it again, and you start sweating, right? Your finger starts burning, and pain <laughs> started happening in your back. And say, okay, now it's really clean. He doesn't yep. say a word. He comes back again. Just take the instrument, plop, and there's another bunch of calculus. Yeah. And just. It's such a humiliating experience for for you as a dentist because then you start because when you start you you tend you believe that you can do everything, right? Yes. And it's it's just not true. You're just getting started, and we try to to learn people by doing this kind of procedures that they have to start slowly and then they start doing a filling. But we want to do adhesive dentistry right, like. Mm-hmm. Um, as biomedically as possible. So with rubber dam, layer for layer for layer, and we start like with the simple stuff. And if they want to proceed to the 
complex stuff, they are more than welcome. But the thing that we see is that they actually start, or they stop for the complex part and they do really general healthcare, but really good. Right? And yeah. there's so much beauty in that. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, the thing that's not really displayed on social media right. uh, or in general healthcare today. Um, so it's really good to see that like you, you are on the other side of the world from me. Yeah, <laughs> other side of the world. Yeah, seriously. Um, but no, that it's true. It's providing a service where all healthcare professionals, so the care should be there. And, uh, you know, we're just helping facilitate care we don't have to push for products i'm not saying every you should be able to do what you want to do but there is no um there's no downside to doing simple stuff and it's okay and you build your skill level and you get to where you want to be you don't you know don't fly before you have to walk <laughs> like start walking yeah forward. exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Rome and wasn't built in there. Yeah, and then soar, go for it, you know, go achieve your dreams. But yeah, start off slow and, and you know, your first priority should be your patient um, and their overall being, not a quota to meet. And that's such a hard, sometimes when you, I get it, you have life's responsibilities, you have student loans, you have all these other things and it's so hard. But if you're just genuine in your care, it'll all come to you. It really will. Yeah, that's that's a word for that. You know what it is? Right. That's karma. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's yes, really two good. good things. Good things will come to you. Voila. you there you yes. have it. Yes. No, really cool. But I I want to thank you for for taking the time to uh, to record this oh, podcast with me. Gosh. And it's you know what it's uh, it's such a di- it's such a different topic that we don't discuss that often. But it's so important uh, that we try to share this kind of stuff with well people are listening to this podcast and and on the platform uh, because it is really important and uh, it drives you to a very more uh, way more balanced state of dentistry, I believe, because when you are aligned with your own values. Um, you can also take these values to your patients, and eventually the the healthcare of your dentistry will be will be way better. Yes, absolutely. So, so true. And I want to, um, yeah, we we will try to promote the book as much as possible. We will add some links in the descriptions of the um, well, the, the social media posts as well on the website and Spotify. Um, um, and I I just want to say buy the book. <laughs> buy the book as, <laughs> Thank you. As much buy as well, it, read it, reach out. I'm here to help. Um, and yeah, share it. Share it with as much people as you it. can. Uh, Absolutely. And hope, uh, people will take the same lessons uh, out of it as uh, as we do. And um, yeah, with that said, I want to thank you again. Thank and, you. Uh, thank thank you. you so much. It's such a pleasure. <laughs>